This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Welcome to part two of our interview with Murray Street. In case you missed our last episode, Murray and his family run a winter cropping operation east of Dubbo, and Murray also works Monday to Friday as the CEO of Grains Arana Alliance, a Central West-based grower-driven research development and extension organisation funded through GRDC Investment. In part one of this interview, Murray shared how he got started in agriculture, why straight winter cropping suits his business best, and how important it is to get your crop nutrition just right. And so today, in the second part of this interview, we cover the challenges he sees for the industry going forward, from declining soil nitrogen levels, increasing import prices, to resistant weeds. You'll also hear how GOA Research is helping to unlock practical ways to increase nitrogen efficiency, and also how you can get involved in the work that GOA is doing. So join us as Local Land Services Cropping Officer Tim Bartimo finishes up his chat with Maury by the fire on a very wet, rainy morning at Huonita. So Maury, you've been in the industry for a little while. You've got a lot of experience as an agronomist, as a farmer, also as a research and extension person as well. You've seen some of the challenges that our industry has faced in the Central West, particularly in cropping over the last couple of decades. What do you think will be some of the challenges that we'll face going forward? There's probably a couple of facets to it, I suppose. I guess there's some agronomic facets going forward. So things like our nutritional systems going forward as we move into more continuous cropping systems. You know, the obvious one is nitrogen. We came from a eastern seaboard, was very much a mixed farming system, east to west, north to south. So we had permanent pastures, legume-based pastures that were fixing a lot of nitrogen. And they were help feeding the system through that cropping phase. You know, we're seeing that polarisation, and that's not in a bad sense, but polarisation to continuous cropping in a lot of situations. And as much as we talk there today on pulses and stuff like that, I mean, they're by no means going to solve our nitrogen issue. In a cropping system, if we grow one pulse crop in four or five years, we're still going to get a net decline in nitrogen. So there's going to be a need to bring more nitrogen into that system. And that's arguably going to be one of our biggest line items in cropping going forward. I mean, I just know my little farming system here, the amount that we've spent on urea this year is more than, you know, I've ever remotely spent. Just I haven't worked it out, Tim, but my nitrogen bill might be more than my total cropping bill in years gone by when you sort of think about it. So they're massive line items, even at $1,200 a tonne today. And if we're looking at a couple hundred kilos to the hectare application rates, you know, it's at $240 a hectare on your gross margin, I'd take a stab at it right here and now and say I don't think there'd be one other line item on there that would get remotely near that value. So hopefully nitrogen prices won't stay up there forever. I think if they do, you know, we've got some serious challenges leveled at our farming system as they are. I mean, I'm not saying that we can't do it. If commodity prices stay up there as well, you know, you can afford it and you can do it, but it's going to be a challenge going forward and also managing that nitrogen. And nitrogen fertiliser is actually not that efficient. When you have a look at a lot of the trial work that we do, and you've got to distinguish between nitrogen use efficiency and fertiliser use efficiency. 
we've probably got some questions over nitrogen use efficiency, which is the ability to use the nitrogen in the system efficiently or what level of efficiency that is. But when you look at fertiliser efficiency, that is what amount of fertiliser you put on versus what amount is response you get and the amount of product that you get off in response to it. And when you have a look at those nitrogen fertiliser use efficiencies, they're quite low. Some of that may be in accounting. If you put urea on today, in a year like today, maybe we shouldn't be looking at it on a year-only basis. So put it on and say, oh, well, I only got, put 100 kilos of urea on and I got half a tonne of yield response and say, well, that's the only response I'm going to get. There's some legacy effects of that nitrogen that you put on this year that will play into next year and the year after. So some of it's an accounting thing, but that aside, I think there's a lot of leakages out of our farming systems for nitrogen as well, particularly get wet years like this, denitrification, volatilisation, leaching losses, just inefficiencies in how it's stored, weeds robbing and stuff like that. So I think nitrogen, nutrition, yeah, is a bit front and centre in years like this, in front of mind. I think some of the other challenges are going to face us going forward, and it's something that I suppose I've spoken passionately about before too, is herbicide resistance is that at the end of the day, we probably lack a bit of diversity in our weed control systems. Some growers are adopting things like harvest weed seed management, whether they be Harrington seed destructors, chaff lining or narrow windrow burning. There's a number of growers that are starting to move to narrow row spacings or higher plant populations and probably things like crop topping and crop desiccation and stuff like that, trying to manage the seed bank and stuff like that. But At the end of the day, I mean, the core backbone of our approach to weeds is still very pesticides-based. That's just the way it is. I don't know that there's a lot of alternatives, but the reality of that is is that when we're putting that much weight on those herbicides, that much emphasis on them, development of resistance is inevitable, and the pipeline for new chemistry coming through is... is, 10 years or something, isn't it? Yeah, and it's tight and it's restricted. And as we go forward and consumer interest in pesticide use and environmental and side herbicides that might have got through the system 20 years ago may not pass the test going forward. We're more in touch with the off-target type side effects, whether that be on the environment or on health or whatever, whatever. You know, that pipeline is pretty tight and getting increasingly expensive because of that. So whether the pipeline of developing any new chemistry is enough to keep abreast of the development of resistance is I think it's going to be an ever-present battle going forward. And I don't have the answers. If someone did have the answers, we'd be yelling it from the rooftop. We've got some address to it, but I see that as a bit of a risk going forward. It's just how do we handle that in the future? And that sort of stuff does concern me a little bit. You know, when you see something that we've been doing a bit of work on lately, you know, glyphosate-resistant ryegrass or other glyphosate-resistant weeds, glyphosate is such an important part to our farming system. If we start to lose its efficacy, that's going to put a really serious challenge to our farming systems and the sustainability of it. We can keep patching up the holes going forward, but as quick as you patch one, you probably get another hole pop out. You know, I'm sort of thinking of a bit of a leaking boat. I don't want to sound like a downer at all, but yeah, we can patch up some of those holes with double knocking and stuff like that, or double, triple knocking with paraquat and using pretty heavy pre-emergent programs in our wheat and stuff like that, particularly some of the new chemistry. But given time, those things will start to break down as well. I mean, you look at something like Sakura, I suppose, what's it, 10 years or 12 years or something now, I suppose, since it's been out, might not even be that long. And I don't know locally that there's been too many issues, but I believe that there are cases of commercial resistance out in the field now to that, and it's barely made 10 years. 
I think there are a couple of our production issues going forward. We've probably got, I don't know how far you want to go on it, but I think I guess our perception, our social license in the wider community is something that we're coming under increasing pressure from, you know, other interest groups and different philosophies on life and stuff like that. I think that's going to increasingly question and scrutinise the, the farming community. I think that's something that we as an industry probably all need to be better in defending our industry and, and the way that we do it, I suppose. I have seen that like in terms of that knockback or that question coming from people towards the industry. Some people have actually seen it as an opportunity, perhaps, like understanding what our customer base is looking for and actually finding ways to make our production systems fit that and then getting better returns or as a premium product, perhaps. So maybe that's an option going down. Yeah, I think. Turn the challenge into an opportunity. Well, I think a bit of scrutiny and a bit of questioning and a bit of justification from our point of view, you can take it as a good thing. Someone sort of questioning some of the things you do and it it might make you sort of turn around and have a look and say, well, maybe we could do that better. Certainly a bit of scrutiny is not unhealthy at all. So just before we finish up, you talked about how nitrogen efficiency could be a challenge going forward. What are some things that producers can practically do to increase the nitrogen efficiency, you think? In terms of nitrogen use efficiency, I think there's some things there that we need to work out as an industry and that research fraternity to try and improve that. I think what growers have more at hand or in under their control is maybe having a look at that fertiliser use efficiency more so. And I guess when you look at that fertiliser use efficiency, I guess maybe one way to attack that is actually have a look at some of the leakage from the system. So have a look at seasonal conditions and what's happening. I am pretty bullish on nitrogen and the need for more nitrogen in the farming system. But you get a year like this and you see the weather we've been having and we've had a lot of intermittent waterlogging, putting massive rates of nitrogen out in one hit, potentially earlier in this season when it was very, very wet, probably significant risks for losses or inefficient use of that fertiliser, putting it on then. The real challenge is, is that's fine, Murray, but how do I bloody address that? I only have one chance to put it on, but certainly smaller amounts more often may be a better approach to it. And I also think there's something that blokes like James Hunt's started talking about, and it's out there in the narrative and the discussions now, is this end banking theory as well. So end banking is looking at trying to maintain your soil with a predetermined level of nitrogen nutrition. So each year you've got a bit of fuel in the tank. And it also starts to introduce the fact that there is legacy benefits to nitrogen applied this year going into next year and stuff like that. But rather than a farming system where you, it seems to be all on or all off, you know, it's just go hard or go home approach may not be as beneficial to a system where we maybe have more regular applications of nitrogen. And what I mean, not necessarily in the season, but across seasons. So my farming system, I don't have a legume component and that's one of the complicating factors of how does pulse crops fit in a end banking system is a real challenge that I haven't heard too many people sort of address yet. But in that non-leguminous farming system that I've got, I've taken the view that I regularly apply nitrogen to most crops every year and I'm not as responsive to apparent seasonal conditions each year. You know, if it was wetter or drier, I may still tend to put nitrogen on even in dry seasons, whereas other people might look and go, oh, well, a dry season. It's a bit dry or whatever, I'm not going to put anything on. I sort of wonder whether that sort of approach may drive some better efficiencies. And I think some of the other drivers in fertiliser efficiency is its position in the profile. 
position in the soil. We go out and top dress nitrogen. Our profiles have been full here for months. Any nitrogen we've put on over the last couple of months is probably very much sitting in the surface soil. That needs time to move down further in the profile so that when the tap does turn off and we start to suck on that deeper moisture, that there's actually some nitrogen down there with it. Because, you know, in that situation where you're just continually top dressing and putting on the top, it's only available whilst the roots are drawing from that part. And, you know, if the roots stop drawing from there because the tap turns off for two or three weeks, that nitrogen become perched or beached. You know, it's another analogy. It just, you can't access it. So a more regular application of nitrogen across seasons rather than within seasons might see that some of the nitrogen that I put on this season is actually going to be as much for next year's season as this one and hopefully it's further down the profile so it's in more appropriate spot for it to be accessed. So I guess it's maybe taking that bit of a longer term view of that nitrogen approach I suppose if that makes a bit of sense. Yeah definitely that forward thinking making sure it's available when you need it as opposed to just trying to pull the trigger because you see a big rain event coming. Yeah. So being a bit more proactive as opposed to being reactive. Yeah, no, that's right. Or just a little bit, try and take some of that volatility out of the way that we manage it. I said, oh, it's going to rain two inches or something. Well, I better run out there and put 300 kilos on. I mean, we talked earlier about the the bullish nature of nitrogen on canola, but you sort of hear some of the rates going out there and going out there in single licks and stuff like that. I mean, to me, that's practically, it's probably the, the only opportunity that you had or the most efficient way to put it on or whatever. But I think agronomically, you could probably challenge some of that. And God forbid, if you went and did that and you got that you know, massive two or three inch rain event and there's water laying all over those paddocks for days or weeks, I mean, there's some significant losses that could occur. And certainly the plant's not going to access it when it's waterlogged out like that anyway. So I think there's some challenges there. I don't think I've got the answers at the moment, but it is becoming a more important area of research going forward, I think, for the industry to try and better understand that because we sort of run out of the benefits that were accrued in that mixed farming systems of 20 years ago. We've now got plenty of paddocks that have been continuous crop for 20 or more years and they might have had a handful of pulse crops in there in the meantime. But yeah, if you look at, well, there's a big study done there uh, some time ago, I couldn't quoted exactly but what i recall of it is is that you know quite clearly we're running a deficit on our nitrogen over time we're simply not putting enough on but ironically if you have a look at the phosphorus side in that work it tends to suggest we're actually doing pretty well if anything we've probably in a lot of cases actually built our phosphorus levels up from where they were so we've banked a bit of phosphorus but we're draining the account in terms of nitrogen so we need to start having a look at that going forward Mm, it's definitely nitrogen just seems to be that story that just just got to keep having an eye on like you can't just forget it and be like, oh fix that moving on it's just continuously chipping away and making sure it's there for the crop when it needs it as i said i mean in that just in a grain production systems and it's just a it's a massive line item that we're just we've got to try and address unless we can get some better legumes back into the system or god forbid people will be screaming at their bloody phones at the podcast, but, you know, unless we went back to a system of, you know, some sort of level of mixed farming or introduced some semi-permanent or short-term pasture phases or something like that just to ultimately build nitrogen, hopefully that then in turn feeds, you know, the next cycle of cropping because, yeah, because unfortunately going back to the annual pulses, they're in the ground for such a short time and when you look at the fact that although they fix nitrogen, we then go and harvest them and export a lot of it anyway, they're certainly a tool. 
but are they going to introduce sustainability in the system or significantly reduce the nitrogen demand otherwise, nitrogen fertiliser demand otherwise? Not in our high production systems that we've been running, and certainly not when you're having good years like this with the yields that we're pulling off. Oh, yeah. And when you can see such a benefit from going that hard with nitrogen, particularly in crops like canola, like was it last year we had a crazy seven ton crop out at Mandurin or something? Like, imagine how much you had to feed. Yeah, no, that's right. The numbers are mind boggling. You can muck around with the maths if you want, but a five ton crop of canola, if it's removing 40 kilos per ton, you know, there's 200 units of nitrogen exported off that paddock. A simple replacement strategy for that is something like half a ton of urea to the hectare. And there's no debate or argument about it. I mean, 200 kilos went out the gate. You can work out those numbers. It's probably not quite that, but good enough for round figures. That's gone out the gate. It's got to come back into the system somewhere. Crazy amount of urea. It's not called a major nutrient for nothing, I guess. Absolutely. Yep. Righto. So, Maury, it sounds like Go is doing a lot of work locally, kicking a few different goals, answering questions that local producers have. How else can people get involved? Yeah, well, I guess we've got the standard things like our website. Go and have a look there. We try and get you know, a lot of our trial reports up on there. There's also a portal on there where you can join our mailing list. I promise you I try and keep the emails to a minimum. I hate those ones where you just get spammed five emails a day. But we try and keep it to a minimum. But, you know, that's a good way for us to let you know when there's trial walks or field days or these NGN meetings coming up and anything else that's important or topical or or relevant for the time so that's probably the other good way to sort of engage with us there and of course there's the good old phone as well don't be scared if you've got a question or whatever or want to know a little bit more just pick up the phone i'm sure my phone number or and email is on the website there jump on there and give us a buzz and we go from there and you're pretty active on twitter sometimes sometimes yeah when I think there's something worthwhile to say, I'll try and, yeah, put it out there sort of thing. So keep an eye on that. So, you know, you can look at my own account, which is at Murray Street, or the Goa one, which is at Grainarana. And I guess we've also got a Facebook page as well. So I'm sure if you just search your Facebook, if you're on Facebook for Grainarana, you should find us there and you can follow us there and go from there. On all the socials. Yeah. Oh, not on the Instagrams and the Snapchats and the TikTokers. You haven't got a TikTok I'd, yet? I'd, oh, no, you wouldn't want to see me dance. Well, thanks, Maury. It's been a very, very insightful conversation and a lot of things to think about. I think I've definitely learned a few things as well. So thanks very much for your time. No worries at all. Thanks, Tim, for coming out and chat with us. All good. Good luck for the rest of the year, everybody. <laughs> thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.